I am Shannon. Uh, I'm Shan hey, you know, that's, I'll take that because next weekend I'm going to be with my nieces and my nephew. <coughs> and um, they don't call me Uncle Shannon. They call me Uncle Shanta. So, um, and that, my wife started that when I first started growing my beard and it started to turn white. So they were like, it's Shanta. It's Shanta. So I'll, I'll welcome Shannon anytime because I'm really, I, mean, I know I look 67, but I'm really not Santa age. But we are, um, my wife and I and daughter Annalie are glad to be here. We've been here for about a year. Um, I am normally just sitting out there with you over there, you know, how we have our customary seats. We always kind of merge to, and uh, I am much more comfortable out there than up here, believe it or not. I really am. But uh, I really appreciate Pastor Rick inviting me to be a part of this series. Um, great guys that have already preached uh, wonderful messages from God's Word. Um, I think there's going to be another next week. I know there will be another next week. So uh, I'm just glad to have a part. We are continuing our series about ships. So if you've got a copy of uh, the Word of God in front of you, or if you want to turn it on or open it up, it's John 16.33 is going to be our main text. We're going to uh, uh, go to some other places in God's Word to talk about this ship today. Um, and I will go ahead and let the cat out of the bag. Today's ship is the ship that we wish would stay at the bottom of the ocean forever and ever and ever because it's hardship. Uh, I think we've talked about fellowship and partnership and stewardship. I think we're going to even talk about worship. But hardship is the one ship that we do not want to be resurrected from the ocean's bottom. Um, and as we've been talking about ships, we've been talking about the thing that makes ships kind of unique. Um, we've mentioned a few things. Uh, propulsion makes a ship unique. It allows them to do what they were made to do. Ships were created, boats were created to ferry up. Uh, something, either people, if it's a cruise ship, or um, a luxury liner, or if it's a cargo ship, some type of cargo from one port to another. And in order for a ship to do its job, it must be propelled. It must move forward by some force. Now, we know that force is, in our lives, is grace. God's grace, the grace of the gospel, propels us, pushes us Forward. Now, for today's ship, it's very important that we, that we uh, I guess, make a middle note that we are being propelled through the water. Because when a ship is not passing through the water, it's called what? Dry dock. <laughs> when a ship is not propelled and moving through the water toward a destination, they call that dry dock. And in dry dock, a ship cannot fulfill its purpose. Now, we don't go into dry dock. We are constantly moving from, the Bible says, from grace to grace. We are moving through the waters of this journey called the Christian life. But so many times when it comes to this particular ship, hardship, we pray for dry dock, don't we? We kind of pray, God, take me out of this. I really want to get out of this mess. This is hard. I don't like it. It's uncomfortable. Take me out. <laughs> um, take me out of the water. But God does not take us out, he moves us through. I think you could read all of Scripture. And there are some miracle deliverances. I'm not saying that you can't find some in there. But the, I think the overwhelming majority of people you find in God's Word that dealt with hardship, he brought them through it, not out of it. And that's an important thing to remember as we pass through the next you know, 20, 25, 30 minutes together. Because our first inclination is to, get, God, just rescue me. Just take, take this away from me. 
I mean, you'd be in good company. Paul prayed the same thing. What did he say? God, this thorn in my flesh. Now, people can debate what it was, whether it was his eyesight, as bad as mine. I can't see. I wouldn't know Rick if I didn't have my glasses on right now. Um, Or was it the the people that were persecuting him called the Judaizers? We won't go into that, but basically, they were just persecuting his faith. They were just uh, making life generally miserable for him as he tried to present the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Whatever the thorn was, we don't, I mean, basically, to him, it was a deal breaker. He said, God, take it away. Not only once, but the Bible says three times, God, take it away. Take it away. God said what? No. (laughs) My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And if he's talking to Paul, it would be appropriate to say, in your weakness, Paul, I don't want to take this away from you. I don't want to take you out of the hardship." I want, to ma- I want to allow, I want to pass through the hardship with you. And we'll see later on in James, we, we see that that makes us into the child of God that, that he wants us to be. So I know a long time in my life, I said, God, give me strength, give me strength, give me strength. I stopped praying that prayer a long time ago. Because I don't know that that's what that passage where Paul is talking about there. I don't know that that's an appropriate prayer. Um, and I know this kind of sounds crazy, but I've started praying more for weakness than strength. Because I, I don't want to be strong. I mean, that's almost unbiblical, really. God's not going to make me strong. God just basically told Paul, and I think it echoes to all of us, that I, I want you to be weak so I can be strong through you. And Paul went on to say, then I'll glory in my infirmities. I will glory in my hardships. I will glory in my trials and my tests, my temptations, my sufferings, so that the power of Christ would rest upon me. So the question becomes, do we want our own strength, as feeble and weak as it'll be, or do we want his strength in us? Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ, but I live. Yet it's not I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. Now, not only is a boat propelled through the storm, through the water, uh, to its destination, but it has to have navigation. We talked about navigation several, several times. Every, every sermon is touched on this point. Na- the navigation is the leadership of the Holy Spirit that uh, allows the ship to arrive at its destination. And the final one, which was really, not, it's my final one, but most of the time uh, through the series we've talked about this first, is displacement. Now, displacement is make, makes a ship basically float. Um, and when you talk about the hull displacing the tonnage of water, that is a, if you're an engineer or a, somebody who's much smarter than me, you know that the amount of water it displaces lets you know something about the vessel. But here's the deal. When that hull pushes against the water and displaces it, guess what? The water pushes back. It pushes back or it wouldn't float. And in fact, um, Randy, I know you're an engineer, smart guy. You've probably forgotten more than I'll ever know. But you you guys know that at a certain depth, it pushes back so hard it does what? Crushes the hole. So there's some force pushing back. As you displace, there's some pushback. That's called hardship. (laughs) Yeah. 
what did I say? We want that ship to go to the bottom and never come back up, right? But it's just not. It's just not. We're going to deal with it, and we could deal with a number of different passages. I mean, there's stories all throughout Scripture, I mean, from A to Z. But what I've chosen is John 16.33, um, because John 16.33 is really, it kind of encapsulizes the, uh, the words of Jesus about struggles. So if you've got your copy of God's Word, um, I'm going to read it from the screen as you read. I have said these things to you, Jesus talking to his disciples, that in me, in me, and that's going to be important later, it's in me. It's, not in, it's in, not in your ability, guys. It's in me that you will have peace. You may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So the question we want to answer this morning is how do we view hardships? I, 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 like, I believe God's Word answers questions that we have. Not every question, but generally when you go to a passage of Scripture, you pray over it, you look at it, it's going to answer some life questions for you. Prison camp survivor from a Nazi prison camp said this, a trial, a hardship, a test can strip away everything from you but how you view that trial. So no matter what kind of hardship that we're facing, and I know there are, there's a plethora of there, there's a number of them. I mean, it's like a buffet, basically, this morning of hardship. You take your pick from health to jobs to families to relationships and even some flat tires probably on the way or some, some physical things like that that we'd say it's not the worst in the world, but, man, it's just bringing me down today. I mean, it can strip away, hardships can strip away everything from us, but the way we view them. So how should we view them? Well, the first answer to the question is found back in chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus said, I have overcome the world. So if you're a note taker, somebody who jots things down to remember later, jot this down. Hardships, hardships, God intends hardships to simply, and it's not a simple thing, but it's direct, to be an opportunity to be a true overcomer. So every time we enter into a hardship, as, as difficult as it is, and, and, and listen, I'm not saying, and I, I'm super spiritual, I, I, I'm, preaching, I'm preaching to myself. Every time one of these hardships come, I want to say, God, this, this is an opportunity for you to show off. You know, like when Elijah was on the, the mountain in, in the Old Testament, if you know that story, and he was with the prophets of Baal, and they were debating who was God, and, and was Elijah's God God, or was our false God the real God? And he said, the God that's going to call down fire is going to be the God. And Elijah called down fire from heaven, and it just, it, it licked up the sacrifice, it licked up the water, it was powerful. And basically, Elijah's message is, when God shows up, he shows off. <laughs> and so I've been praying that, God hardships, it's a chance for you to show off in my life. Not for me to try to be a better me, a better person, not some self-help junk that you might read off the internet, but hardships is an opportunity for me to trust you more, for me to be a true overcomer. Now, these guys who, who heard Jesus say this, listen, they were as screwed up as we are, <laughs> I mean, they were I mean, they were a motley crew. You can look around this morning, warts and all, we're a pretty motley crew. They were a motley group of guys. And they didn't understand this concept probably any better than we understand it. This concept of being an overcomer. 
Jesus said, I'm, because he would go on, he's been talking in, in chapter 14, he would go on to talk more about the Holy Spirit and about the fact that I've overcome the world. And they're like, so what? What does that mean? Well, you know, when these guys heard Jesus say that, he, they actually thought that he was going to set up as the king of the world. You know, Leonardo, you know, I'm the king of the world. I mean, it's gonna be, he's going to be the king of the world. Because they thought at that time that Jesus had come back to be a conquering Messiah. All throughout Old Testament history, it started out with the true, God, the true word of God saying Jesus was going to be born of a virgin. He was going to sacrifice. But you know what? Preachers got tired of talking about that. People got tired of listening about a suffering servant. So what did they do? They erred toward the side of, hey, we're going to get a king. And he's going to come back and he's going to kick the Romans' butts. <laughs> He's going to take over. So when they heard, I've overcome the world, they were like, great, sign me up. In fact, James and John, the two brothers that were Jesus' disciples, um, James and John were called the sons of thunder. <laughs> That's what they were called in, the, in, in Jesus' day. The sons of thunder. They were a, a rowdy redneck, redneck couple you know, of brothers, right? And the sons of thunder once argued among themselves who was going to be on the right and left of Jesus when he came into his kingdom. They were searching for power. They thought overcoming means me being the man. I want a position, God. I want to be on your right. I want to be on your left. Peter famously once told Jesus to his face, I'm not going to let you go to the cross. Now that's got some backbone. <laughs> All right? Jesus said, who do you Ben, say I am? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Well, my, Jesus, I mean, uh, Peter, my, my Father in heaven is the only one that could show you that. And he went on to talk about his suffering, and Peter said, far be it, Jesus. I ain't allowing you to go to the cross. Oh, really? <laughs> These guys were just as screwed up as we are. Because when we go through our hardships, what's the first thing we default to? I got to do better. I got to do better. I got to master this. I mean, we are constantly, we were talking about this in our small group the other night. We are constantly measured by our performance. I mean, we do. I mean, we don't, we don't like to say it, but when you're sitting out here, if you're listening and they go off note, I mean, I couldn't carry a tune in a bucket with a lid on it, but I mean, if they go off key, off note, all of us is going to go in the car on the way home, mm, man, praise man had a rough day today. <laughs> Why? Because somewhere in the recesses of our mind, we always default to how was it? Was the, was the souffle done right? Was the cake iced right? Was the band were they on? Was the preacher boring? Did he put me to sleep? We're all gauging ourselves on our performance, and it doesn't change when we enter into a hardship because we go, God, I've got to get better. I've got to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I've got to make you proud. I've got to make my wife proud. I've got to overcome it. You know what that does? I'm not sure if you can use the word crap, from, um, but it frustrates the crap out of you. I'm just, I'm just sorry. It just fr because you know why? Because you never can do it. <laughs> you, you never can be good enough to master the hardship you're going through. And it just frustrates you. And guess what? That's kind of Satan's strategy. Keep you frustrated most of your Christian experience. Amen? <laughs> That's kind of his plan. Yeah, I can't take your salvation, Shannon, but I can make you one frustrated joker just about every day of your life. So these guys were trying to do it just like we're trying to do it, overcome. 
And then when they couldn't, they would pout. After the cross, what happened? They went and they pouted. (laughs) They hid. We do the same thing. I mean, I've asked myself a thousand times, God, how can I be an overcomer in you when I sin so much? How in the world would I want to stand up on this stage after Pastor Rick said, hey, would you deliver this message about hardship? Yeah, I'll deliver the message. I'll say, hey, don't do like I'm doing because I am royally screwing this up. (laughs) So, God, why, why, why would you... Why would you say I'm an overcomer? So once again, it's all about me. I didn't do the job I should have done. I didn't pass the test. My performance wasn't what it should have been. So woe is me. Now I'm not worth anything. I can't even walk in the church doors because I am worth nothing. So it all comes back to that satanic trap of performance, performance, performance. Even the Greek word that they were used to hearing in that, in that um, day, nikeo, nikeo means to be victorious. It means to, to overmatch something or to overcome something. So even when uh, the Greek goddess, you, you got her on your feet right now. Nike. The Greek goddess Nike, guess what? The goddess of what? Victory, speed, overcoming. They live the same life. These people that heard the words of Jesus live the same life we did. Am I good enough? Am I fast enough? Am I smart enough to be accepted by you, God? And when they entered into a hardship, they were like, I got to be good. I got to be better. I got to be, I almost said gooder. Some English teacher is going to go, you got to be better. I got to be faster. I got to be, I got to be on my game even more now that I'm going through this hardship. So let's let, Let's let the $10 billion Nike ad machine answer the question for us, okay? So, so here's what Nike says. Years after um, the, the disciples walked on the earth, years after the goddess Nike is, is proved to be just bunk, right? Years later, here comes the, the famous apparel company, and they come out with the slogan, what? Just do it. Just do it. Just be better. Just be faster. Just be stronger. Just get through your hardship the best way you can. And if you can't, then be better and buy our stuff because, after all, our shoes and our, and our, and our uh, apparel will make you a better person. You know? So buy our stuff. So, G- so here's what Nike says. Nike says, just do it. Now, here's the truth of what the disciples needed to realize about hardships going into this thing before they even get started on the rest. Jesus is trying to get across to them. If Nike says, hey, just do it, Jesus said, I've already done it. I have completed it. I have mastered everything that you need to do. Now, if you will rest in me, if you will trust in me, if you will live in me, now back to, we don't have to go back there, Jamie, but in 1633, what did it say? Remember when I started this? I said those two words are going to be really important. He said, in me, you're going to have peace. In me. Jesus' whole message that he was trying to get across to them is, guys, you can't do it. One day you'll realize you are complete, abject, total failures. And that is going to send you running to me. Peter, when he was reconciled with Jesus on the beach, you remember when he said, Peter said, feed my sheep, feed my lamb. I mean, Jesus said that to Peter, and Peter was like, I love you, Lord. Do you love me, Jesus? I I love you, I love you. Do you love me, Peter? I love you, I love you, I love you. God, what are you trying to say? There's a lot of truth in that reconciliation, but basically Peter had to come to the end of himself, and basically he said, I agape you, Lord, meaning 
I'll die for you. Agape you, Lord, second time. Agape you, Lord, I'll die for you, Jesus. The third time when Peter said, I love you, Lord, he didn't use the word agape. He used the word phileo, which means brotherly love. And I think part of that is Peter going, Jesus, I can't love you like you love me. I'm incapable. I am a, I'm a, I'm a wretched guy. <laughs> and the only way I can survive is you. So here's, here's, the, here's the nugget that I want you to take away from, from this. It's not about your power to overcome your hardship. It's about your position in Christ. It's not about force to be a better man or to be a better woman or to read the Bible more or to pray harder. All those things are good, but if, they're, if you're doing them in an effort to try to make yourself better, it's not about force, it's about faith. It's not about trying, it's about trusting. And we could go on and on and on. The, the bottom line is resting in Christ through our hardship is the key to successfully passing through it. You can kick against the wall. You can try as hard as you want. You can try all that other self-sufficiency stuff. It's not going to work. It will only frustrate you, and ultimately, it will dry your spirit up. But once we get in a position where we say, Jesus, it's in you, not in me. This hardship, Lord, it is too much for me, but it's not too much for you. I'm going to rest and I'm going to trust in you. And you say, are you telling me that basically you've been talking for 15 minutes now and you, that's, that's it? I mean, that's, that's all you got for me today is trust him? Yeah. <laughs> now we're going to talk about some more stuff. But I just can't get away from that. April the 2nd, 1989 was the day of my salvation. So um, 30 years last April. Started preaching July of 1990. So this coming July will be 30 years of preaching God's word. I know. You're like, 30 years? You ain't no better than that. <laughs> I mean, you know, but 30 years. 30 years. And the more I walk with God, the more I realize how little I know, how hungry I need to be, and how much I need to trust Him with every breath that I breathe. And I think that's why John, you know, John, James and John started out, sons of thunder. Hey, Jesus, put me on the right. Put me on the left. Sign me up. I'm the man. When you go over to 1 John, what, is, what does John say? My dear little children, <laughs> just, just love him more. Just trust him more. Talking about mellowed out, holy cow, the guy's just chill, right? How did that happen? He's walked with the Savior enough to know that, that uh, braggish attitude that he had is the way we all start out. But he'd been through enough hardships. He'd been propelled by God's grace through the storm enough to see that it's not about my, my power or my force, but it's about my faith and my position in Christ and my trust. Now, when we come to that point, and you know what? That's a free, that's a free door to walk through, just like any of these do. There's no price to pay for that. 
Because Jesus had paid the price. But guess what these, these disciples also did not, did not even come to realize? When Jesus said, I've overcome the world, he was talking about salvation too. So if you're, if you're sitting right where you know, you're parked this morning, and you're like, dude, you don't know all my hardships, but, but the Jesus you're talking about, I don't know him. I don't know the Bible. Matter of fact, this is my second time to even walk in a church. Jesus not only is going to give you abundant life in the here and now and walk you through your hardships in the here and now and, and make life more abundant as a child of God, but he's the one that paid the price for us. His death, burial, and resurrection is the key to being, it's the key to overcoming death, hell, and the grave. He overcame it all. We simply walk in that faith. We walk in that grace. For by grace you are saved through faith, not that of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So back to this idea of just being better. I don't know how many people, I don't know how many people, if you surveyed them, you did one of those, you know, Jimmy Fallon surveys on the, on the street, you know, hey, Rick, what do you think about this? Hey, they'll, first of all, they'll say, you know, if you're talking about Jesus, well, how do you get to heaven? Well, Guess what the number one answer probably would be? I mean, I haven't scientifically studied this, but it's probably going to be something like, be a good person. <laughs> Obey the Ten Commandments. Do the best you can. And you know, one it's kind of like uh, Home Alone 2, wasn't it, Lee? Where they're setting up, you ever watch Home Alone 2? Where they're setting up in the opera house, and, and little, uh, the little kid says, I've been a bad boy, you know. I've been a bad boy, Kevin. I've been a bad boy. And the, the, the older homeless lady says, well, it's Christmas Eve, so good deeds count for double this year, you know. So two good deeds will wipe out one good deed. Well, you know what? If that's, that's kind of funny, but do you know how many people believe that? They believe that if I do two good things, it will wipe out that one bad thing. And I'm going to get to heaven, and Jesus is going to weigh my good versus my bad. And if my good outweighs my bad, he'll let me in. And if it, it goes the other way, then he won't let me in. And oh my, oh my stars, I mean, first of all, what pressure on your life. I mean, that would be a, a tremendous amount of pressure to live with. But that is so far from the gospel. Jesus, Nike says, you do it. Jesus says, I've done it. I have paved the way. I have paid the price. Come to me in faith. All that look and call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, so once we come to this position and once we come to this place in our life, we're like, okay, I, I, I'm, I'm with you so far. It's not, it's not power. I can't do it. It's got to be faith. It's got to be trust. What does, what does that mean for me, though? Well, it means that we kind of have access to, to, to trusting and knowing that God's got a master plan for our ship. Because the, back to our ship analogy, the worst thing in the world is for your ship to be floating rudderless and powerless on the ocean. Because, see, that's Satan's strategy. He's like, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to convince Rick that he can, he can do it on his own. But once Rick gets so frustrated that he says, I can't do it, I can't do it, I've tried that, I've tried to master my frustrations, I've tried to be a good husband, good wife, good mother, good father, I've tried to be a good church member, i try to come every time they say the doors are open, I've tried to master, I, I've tried to go through this hardship with, with my own strength, once we can't do it, then we get frustrated, and guess what we say? Well, there's no control over any of this. This is just happen chance. This is just 
basically spiritual Russian roulette. <laughs> this is just what will be, will be. I'm just going to throw my arms up and say, who cares anymore? It's just, who knows? And, and, and you know, Satan's working that strategy effectively on millions of people. They try it in their own power, and they go from that extreme to just basically giving up. And there might be a few of you here this morning that says, look, if you knew my story, and I don't, I don't know, you don't know my story either. So I'm not making light of your story. You don't make light of my story. And you might be close to saying, I'm almost ready to push all my chips across the table and cash it in. Don't. Look, as, as a believer in Christ, he has a master plan for you. It will, it will not be thwarted. We sang about it basically all morning. Our help comes from the Lord. He has a strategy. Every hardship is an opportunity for us to be a true overcomer. It's not just happen chance or random. I want, to, I want to give you a few verses that point this out. So just bear with me for a few minutes while we do a little Bible hopping. So the first is in Philippians. Philippians 2.13. Notice, remember I said master plan. So in these verses, you got the master and you got the plan. All right? So let's go through them. For it is God... There's the master who works in you. There's the plan to will and do according to his good pleasure. He is the master. He has a plan. Jamie, Philippians 1, 6, actually, I think I put that in there wrong. Uh, so let's go to the next one. Philippians 1, 6, I'll quote for you. So Paul's speaking to the Philippians, and he said, He who began a good work in you, there's the master, We'll complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. There's the plan. And then let's finish with this one. This is my favorite. This was my life verse for a while before it went to Galatians 2.20. 1 Thessalonians 5.24. He who calls you. Are you a believer this morning? Then he called you. Personally called you. He who calls you. There's the master. He's faithful and he will surely do it. There's the plan. There is a master plan that's got your name on it. It will not be thwarted by anything in this life. Romans says, neither height, nor depth, nor angel, or principality, no, not things to come, things in the past, nor things to come. Not anything will separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. There is now, therefore, no condemnation in those that are in Christ Jesus. There is a master plan for you that the hardship of life will not thwart that. And I know that it's hard Believe me, I'm walking it. I live it. When we were praying, Pastor Rick said, you know, in his prayer, I'm not sure why he asked me to preach this because, man, I was living this last night. I was praying this last night. I was saying, God, because Friday, boom, off the rails. Off the rails, you know. Another, another one of those work days, you know, that just goes off the rails. My God, <laughs> you are the master and you have a plan. And I'm not... This, this crazy work call is not going to thwart your master plan. I'm going to look at this as an opportunity to be an overcomer. So, not only are, are hardships opportunities, but they're also pathways. They're pathways that we can basically tune in to the Holy Spirit's work in our life. And God uses these all throughout Scripture. So not only are these opportunities a chance to be true overcomers, these hardships, but they're pathways to progress, to walk. So 
So we can choose to look at these pathways one a couple of ways. We can choose to say, okay, here's a pathway for progress in my life. Either we're going to be a victim or we're going to be a victor. Now, we live in a victim society, and, I, and I'm, I'm certainly not saying there's not true victims. There are people that have gone through horrible instances in their life, and they are, they are victims. But there's a lot of people, especially as we walk through hardships, and the first thing we ask God is, what did I do? What, what is it, God? What's up with this? Why would you do this to me? And, and we kind of feel like a roach bug on our back, you know, <laughs> kicking against the hardship, going, oh, poor me, poor me. I'm just being squashed by life. I, I mean, I get it. I get it. We're, we've been there. We're all there. Some of us are there right now. But if we have the Savior that we do have, and he's the God of the Alpha and the Omega, and he says, Romans 8, 28, all things, all things, good, bad, indifferent, amoral, immoral, moral, all things work together for the good of those who love God, that's you, the called according to his purpose, that's you. I just went through three other verses right here. He's a master. He has a plan. Your name is on it. Amoral, immoral, moral, doesn't matter. It's not going to be thwarted. We'll get to this at the end, a few minutes. But even your sin's not going to thwart it. Now, that's kind of a big excedrin headache thought for me. It's like, well, you mean I can't sin enough to just completely thwart, thwart, <laughs> thwart your plan in me, for me? I don't know. Is, is my sin bigger than my God? Didn't he die on the cross to defeat death, hell, and sin? Now, I'm certainly not saying, and Paul even said, well, does that mean we, we sin more so we can get more grace? And Paul said, you know, Lord forbid that we think that way. So I'm not trying to give a, a green light to go out and just sin. But lest we, lest we fail God and crawl up in the fetal position over in the corner and go, I'm done. No, you're not. No, you're not. In fact, the sin when Jesus died for you on the cross, that sin was a future sin, was it not? So if, if he died for your future sin then he knew it was going to be there, and he's already put it under the blood. So get out of the fetal position and get back in the game. Quit being a victim. You're a victor, not in the world's you know, definition, not by the world's definition, not by Nike's definition, but by Jesus Christ's definition. In him, you are more than a conqueror in Christ. So what are some of these pathways that the Bible lays out? Well, in the last about five or so minutes I got with you, um, I want to lay out a few of the pathways that, that are in Scripture. I'm not saying these are all the pathways for our progress, but these are several that, that come to mind. The first is a test. God might be testing your, your faith. In fact, James, did I, did I put that in there, Jamie? I'm not sure if I did. Did I put James? James 1 says that count it pure joy, all joy, when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? There it is. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or maturity. It goes on to say, let steadfastness have its perfect work, that you will be a mature person, a mature believer. Not perfect by any means, not ever perfect, but maturity is, is good for us. We can be growing in Christ, right? We're not supposed to stay where we were when he found us. He's moving us along. He's moving us through the waters, right? So clearly, when Jesus says 
you know, in this world you have tribulation. He has a plan for the tribulation. He has a purpose for it. James echoes that. It produces growth in us, and he tests us. So, tests, I don't know. I, Abraham Isaac comes to mind. There's probably other tests in Scripture, but Abraham and Isaac come to mind. It's in Genesis, I think, around chapter 22, is it? 20, 21, 22. I think it's in Genesis chapter 22. We don't have time to go into the whole story, but you could read about it later if you wish. But basically, Abraham has been promised Isaac, the son of promise. I think he was 100 years old when Isaac was born. <laughs> I'm 47. I want no more children. God bless you, Annalie. I want no more. I think Sarah was 90. Okay? The son of promise comes, and then God, in fact, the Scripture says in Genesis 22, God wanted to test Abraham's faith. It says it right there. And God said, look, Abraham, go to the mountain and sacrifice your son. Wait a minute. I thought this was the son of promise. Sacrifice the son of promise? Kill the son of promise? You know, what in the world is going on? Because he had another son, and I want to pull over here. Stop right there, Jerry. I want to pull over here and just make a side comment. He had another son called Ishmael, right? Right? Ishmael and Isaac. And, um, and basically, Ishmael was born because Abraham, like, God, I don't think, going back to Peter and John and James and what we just talked about earlier, how we want to do it ourselves, man, it goes all the way back to Abraham. Abraham said, God, I know you promised Isaac, but I think you're taking a little bit too long to fulfill your promise. This is too much of a hardship in my life. So guess what? I'm going to lay down with my servant, Hagar, and I'm going to take care of things myself. Because after I have God, you're a little bit slack. (laughs) You're a little bit late. Get with it, God. I mean, oh my goodness, that's like me talking in a, I mean, that's like me, I'm like, God, get it done now, now. <laughs> Don't make me wait. Well, guess what? He had a son, Ishmael. Ishmael, you could say, is basically the son of disobedience. And Isaac is the son of obedience. Um, now, going back to our sin, guess what? Abraham's sin didn't thwart God's plan. So if Abraham's sin won't, your sin won't, okay? My sin will not thwart God's plan. But there are some consequences that we have to live with. And guess what? Today, the descendants of Isaac and the descendants of Ishmael are doing what? They're fighting it out. It's called the nation of Israel and all of the Arab nations. Because the Arab nations descend from Ishmael, the people, the Israelites descend from Isaac, and there always is going to be battles when you want when you want to do it your way. I mean, just think of the thousands and thousands of lives that would have been saved if Abraham would have just waited. <laughs> Said, God, I believe, I trust that this hardship right now is an opportunity to trust you not to do it my own way. But he didn't. So, guess what? Go ahead, Jamie. Here's here's the truth. Sometimes our hardships are going to make no sense whatsoever. Sometimes the the, the cancer diagnosis, the pink pink slip, hey, they're selling the company, next month you're out of a job. Sometimes the hardship you go through, no matter what it is, it will make zero sense to you. You're not alone. You're not alone. But an overcomer will say, look, I know that I can trust my God's master plan in my life, even though this makes no sense to me. 
What about trials? When we think of trials, we think of Joseph. Now, Pastor Rick and I talked about this before. You could take the life of Joseph and talk about hardships from start to finish. I mean, Joseph, again in Genesis, sold into slavery by his brothers, went to work for a a powerful guy um, named Potiphar. Potiphar's wife hits on him. I guess Joseph was, you know, the original Abercrombie and Finch model, so I don't know. But the, 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 the wife hits on him. Joseph runs out of the house, leaves his cloak behind. Guess what? Potiphar believes the lady, doesn't believe Joseph, throws him into prison. He languishes there in prison. Joseph is like, what's up, God? What's up with this hardship? I don't understand. What have, I've done nothing but serve you. And so sometimes, here's what's going to happen. People are going to say all kinds of manner of nasty things about you. People are going, life is going to be unfair. You're not alone. You're not the first one. But an overcomer, as hard as it is, says, God, I don't like this. I don't like what they said about me. This is not fair, but I'm going to trust your master plan. Because you are the master, and you have a plan. What about, what about um, things of our own making? <laughs> now, this is where I, I want to just spend a little bit of time, because I know there's a, lot, there's a lot of things out there that we, the hard, a lot of our hardships, they are not of our own making. But sometimes we're going through hardships because, guess what? We're stuck on stupid. And we keep doing the same dumb thing over and over and over again. Guess what? You're not alone. <laughs> You're in good company. Here's what Paul said in Romans 7. Here's what Paul said. Paul said this, For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I do not want to do is what I keep doing. Can anyone say, yes, testify? that is me. Basically what Paul is saying is I want to serve Christ. I want to do that, but that's the thing I find myself not doing. But I don't want to sin. But that's the thing I find myself always doing. I keep on this pattern. All of us could say that. Man, Shannon, the hardships of job and, and, and the doctor's reports and all of that, I, I got that. And yes, I know that I need to trust and it's my position in Christ and it's, it's faith and not force. I got that. But you don't understand me. My deal is an addiction. My deal is my own doing. My hardship is at my own hand. What in the heck am I going to do about that? I mean, I, I, I just don't, I mean, the, the Joseph story, the Abraham story, trusting him more, being an overcomer, opportunity, yeah, it all sounds good, but help me because I am my own worst enemy. Anybody look in the mirror and see your worst enemy every single day? I do. Among the other, like, oh my gosh, I got another white hair. Nope, it's my own <laughs> worst enemy. Here's what. Paul also said in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, very important. He says, no temptation has taken you, but such as is common to all of us, mankind. But God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted to beyond what you are able. That means if the temptation, if temptation is your hardship, you know, it's not, it's not other things that we've described, but if it's your own, you're your own worst enemy, guess what? You don't have to, you don't have to roll over and, and be the roach bug, okay? You don't have to go, oh, it's too big for me. No. God has measured out every test, trial, whatever you want to say, including temptation. He's measured it out. He knows exactly what, what you can withstand. Now, let me be careful there because I don't want you to go, okay, well, I, I can take it. I can take No, remember, it's our position in Christ 
not our power. It's our faith, not our force. So, but what he knows is, he knows your maturity level. He knows everything about you as a believer. And he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. That's what the verse says. So you know that old adage that our grandmother used to say, well, God, bless your heart, Kristen. God won't put on you more than you can take. Well, that is kind of true. I mean, it, it lends itself to this self-sufficient kind of attitude. But in a sense, some of that, there's a little bit of truth in that. God's not going to just open up and just dump the whole can on you. Now, Satan wants to dump the whole can on you. But God says, no. No, 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 no. That's it for Shannon. I know what he's able, what, what I, I know what my spirit in him is able to do. I know what, where he is along this journey called the Christian faith. And, and no, you can't put that much. Stopping it right there. The other interesting thing to note is, go back one, Jamie, please. It's common. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. We kind of hinted on this before, but I kind of want to wrap it up and close out with this. Satan's strategy is to isolate you and humiliate you and to frustrate you. And when you're going through a hardship, whether it's by your own hand or the hand of someone else saying nasty things about you or persecuting you, or maybe it's the doctor who's delivered bad news, whatever, your job, your coworkers, doesn't matter. Here, here's what we think. Nobody's going to understand this. I can, t- I can tell somebody they won't understand me. They won't, they won't know what I'm going through. So I'm just going to bottle it all up. I'm just going to take it on myself, and I'm just going to overcome this thing on my own. Now, I, at, at heart, I'm an introvert, and I'm, a, I'm the master at bottling it up. So I'm speaking from years of experience. Satan wants to isolate you over there, away from the body of Christ, who can help. What does the Word of God say? Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If he isolates you, then guess what he'll do next? He'll humiliate you. Humiliate you. You know why? He'll say, mm, you better get over there. You better stay over there, Brent. You better not let anybody else know because after all, you just preached that sermon. And if they know that you struggle with that, they will never look at you the same. And then once he isolates you and humiliates you, then he will, again, frustrate you. Because you'll be like, i got to do it on my own. i got to suffer in silence, and i got to be over here. And that is a strategy from the pit of hell. It's opposite of everything God's Word says. And in fact, Paul thought so much that the first thing he said about temptation is, hey, you're all going through it. <laughs> you're all in the same boat. Don't let Satan think that you tell you that you're the only one that's suffering. You're not the only one that's being tested. You're not the only one that has a trial. We are all in this together. We've talked about that before. Partnership, right? So, kind of back around to our chip illustration. We're going to dispel, displace, displace the idea that you're doing it on your own. It's not about force. It's not about trying It's not about doing better or measuring up to the world's standards. It's about trust and faith and position in Christ. That is absolutely free to you as the man or woman of God that you are. That is how you overcome. So we displace that false narrative that you've got to be good enough to get through this hardship. Or if you don't get through it, you're not good enough. 
Or God doesn't love me as much as I thought he did because why would he allow this to happen to me? Displace that. Allow the truth of God's grace and this idea that he has a master plan that will never, never, never be thwarted. Allow that to propel you through your storm, through your hardship. You know, yes, you might be the one that God lifts up, takes you out. God might take you out of it. If he does, high five to you, praise God, he's taking you out. Most of us are not being taken out, we're going through. We're going through, but we're going through to a, to a navigated destination. You will make it. Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So either when we go to meet him or he comes back to meet us, he will complete it. Not hope to complete it, not might complete it. He will complete it. Nothing's going to thwart it. Not your bad choices, even though, no, we don't want to make bad choices. We don't want to sin, but will not thwart it. The, the attacks of others will not thwart it. The schemes of, of, of the world will not thwart it. You know, Fox News is not going to thwart it. CNN's not going to thwart it. Donald Trump's not going to thwart it. Or whoever, heaven knows, is going to be president in 15 years from now if God tarries. They won't thwart it. No, no power this side of heaven is going to thwart his master plan for you. Now, I don't know about you, but I just have to, I just basically have to have a visual to kind of wrap all this up. This is my most prized possession. One of my most prized possessions. This is a crochet that Susan did for me of Moses walking across the Red Sea. I got it almost 30 years ago when I graduated from seminary. And Lord, she could testify there's been some Red Seas. <laughs> been some, I mean, there have been some moments, oh, oh, Lord, what in the world have I got myself into? This is my most prized possession. Now, here's the thing, though. When I turn it over, I see a bunch of gobbledygook. <laughs> if you've crossed it, you know. There's some errors back here. There's some loose strings back here. There's some distortion back here. There's some stuff that doesn't make sense back here. But guess what? Over here, it looks beautiful. This is your hardship. This is how we see it right now. Sometimes we can't see the forest for the trees. This is how I get frustrated and I go, wait, wait, God, that was the wrong place to put that stitch. I, I, I wasn't prepared for that. No, 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 wait. Well, you don't know what, what God. Surely you can rethink this. Surely you got a better plan than this. But guess what? God sees this. The ideal, perfect master plan picture that's got your name on it. So if you'll just trust him <laughs> that, hey, I didn't mess this up. I know exactly what I'm doing. And I will see you through. And your hardship will be an opportunity or it'll be a pathway for you to be just who I made you to be a victorious overcomer in Christ. That's how we need to view our hardships. As hard as it is, that's the way we've got to do it. And guess what? There are, not only are there testimonies that can walk, help you through this, but 
The Word of God testifies to it. Take the opportunity. Don't be a victim. Don't miss the pathway. But jump on it. (laughs) Jump on the ship. Be the ship and say, God, yes, take me through, not out, but take me through if that's what you want to do. Because as messy as I feel like it is, I know you got a perfect picture in mind. Pray with me. Father, we, we humble ourselves before you just now because we, we know a lot of truth from your word, but it's so hard when we step out these doors. It's so hard. It's so hard to put them into practice. So Holy Spirit, we are weak, but in our weakness, your strength is made perfect. So fill us, Holy Spirit, that we might have eyes to see and ears to hear, and we would walk in faith, trusting you, looking at opportunities and pathways. While your heads are bowed, the praise team's going to come up. They're going to begin to sing. We're going to stand in just a moment and sing with them. But before we rush and we get our purses together and we move our stuff around our seat, could you just take about five or ten seconds And just pray this prayer before you leave. God, show me myself. Father, show me myself. Because you may have been running a long time from who you really are. You might not know Christ as Savior. You may need to find someone in this room and settle that today. Trust Christ for eternal life. You might be a believer that's in a storm and you're trying the best you can and you are frustrated as all get out. And you, God needs to show you who you really are. You are really Peter trying to tell Jesus, don't go to the cross. You're the one trying to achieve the goal on your own. And you might need to just lay that down and say, no, I'm done with this frustration. I would rather walk in faith through this storm. Father, speak to our spirits as we once again sing our praise to you. We offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.